The book of Esther. It's one of the more exciting and curious books in the Bible. The story is set over 100 years after the Babylonian exile of the Israelites from their land. And while some Jews did return to Jerusalem, remember Ezra and Nehemiah, many did not. And so the book of Esther is about a Jewish community living in Susa, the capital city of the ancient Persian Empire. The main characters in this story are two Jews, Mordecai and then his niece Esther. And then there's the king of Persia, who's something of a drunken pushover in this story. And then there's the Persian official Haman, the cunning villain. Now this is a curious book in the Bible, mainly for the fact that God is never even mentioned, not once. Which might strike you as kind of odd. I mean, isn't the Bible about God? But this is a brilliant technique by the author, who's anonymous, by the way. It's an invitation to read this story looking for God's activity, and there are signs of it everywhere. The story is full of very odd, quote, coincidences and ironic reversals, and it all forces you to see God's purpose at work, but behind the scenes. We continue our story about God. It started a long time ago for us here at Crosspoint when we opened up Genesis and we, well, saw how much God cared and how much God loved and how much God desired to have a relationship with each one of us. In some ways, that blows us away if we really understand that. So the God that could have anything and the God could speak creation just by the word of his mouth desires a relationship with each one of us. Now, if you've heard that for a while, that doesn't shake you up. It doesn't. And, and you're glad about it, but, but sometimes that little fact is something that we just need to be reminded about. God. Our God. Our big, amazing, powerful God desires a relationship with Rick. Whoa. Now, I can understand why Sharon would want a relationship. Just kidding. But, God? Really? How many times has this buffoon gone his own way? How many times has he just kind of said, well, you, you, you know what, uh, he's a little arrogant, he's a little pompous, he's a little, whatever the description is. No. <laughs> he wants a relationship with me. And he wanted it with Adam and Eve. And he set them up beautifully. And they chose, hmm, I'm just going to go my own way. That's all. I'm, I'm going to do my own thing. And as a result, Adam and Eve and everyone after them kind of lost out. That's all. Lost out. They scramble around trying to get as much as you can from life. And sometimes it's like going to the beach every day when it's 70 degrees and sunny. Down in Florida, which we had an opportunity to do. That's pretty nice. Believe me. But even that gets old. Something is empty inside of us. So it's been a story of pursuit, a good, good father pursuing. But there's this roller coaster story 
all the way from the beginning. Sometimes you follow God, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you get into God, sometimes you don't. And we're on this path. And so many of us, most of the time, maybe not most, but, but much of the time, choose the desert rather than the oasis. Two weeks ago, we looked at a story that we found in Ezra. Last week, our youth pastor, Willie, shared, and I was so grateful again as I think I listened to his message about 4 o'clock Saturday morning on the road as we were traveling back. But I was excited. I, everyone else was sleeping, but I was excited in the car just myself, you know, hearing again just about how important it is to follow God with all of our hearts. But right before that, we focused on Esther. And we learned, well, what happened after the 70 long winters in Babylon. Almost 50,000 Jews returned, and, and they wanted to start over. And Ezra was so influential, he was a scribe, but, but he was the one who, again, influenced this group of people to begin to obey God a little bit differently. They'd learned some hard lessons. Haggai and Zechariah were God's faithful prophets at that time. And there was a great response to God's word. And the temple was rebuilt. It didn't mean that life was easy back there in Jerusalem. It was hard, but was, it was good. It was new to these settlers. This morning's story shifts back to Persia. Where King Azarus, or you know more as Xerxes, reigns. This small bit of history takes place between Ezra 6 and 7, in between this time. It's 483 B.C. to 473 B.C. The characters in our story did not go with the other 50,000. For some reason, they just stayed right there in Persia. And you wonder about that. Bible scholars have often argued, well, maybe, you know, Mordecai didn't really listen to God. Maybe he did, but no one really knows why they stayed. But ultimately, we see they stayed because they heard God. God is not mentioned as our intro well, stated, even once in the book of Esther. Yet God's sovereignty and faithfulness permeate every scene. God preserved one powerful story that helps us understand himself while inspiring and motivating us to be able to see God's handiwork in the ordinary. My guess is, if I asked you to raise your hand if you live an ordinary life. Now, some of you may think you live really an extraordinary life, and some days that may be true. But most of us, we get up the same time every day. You know, you might choose between, you know, the maple oatmeal or the apple cinnamon oatmeal. That's your variety, you know. You get it in the car the same way. You shower the same way. You, and everything kind of blurs together, right? 
Well, God used some of the blurring in Esther's life to show us something unbelievable. Our faith, though, if we're honest, we we love to see God at work. But we love to experience the Red Sea, right? Wouldn't that be very, very cool? Every single day we get up, all right, Moses is going to take us to the Red Sea. How cool is that? Armies behind us, you know. It's just amazing. He just taps his little staff and... And we get to walk by. That's cool. I'm excited about that. I I really am. Or we may, you know, as we just kind of look at what we want, we love the strolling through the fiery furnace story. I mean, come on. How many of us wouldn't like to do that one? After Nebuchadnezzar was kind of a little arrogant, you know, in the whole thing. I'll show you. And they get to walk through. Or sleeping on lions. Yeah. Hey, you know, you can see, you know, you're texting your daughter first thing in the morning, you know. Guess what? Yeah, I was tossed in a den of lions and just slept soundly. So cool. Isn't our God great? Your daughter texts back and say, what? Are you talking about? Oh, it's just kind of normal for me. Yesterday was the Red Sea. Day before, you know, walked around in fires. But see, most of us don't get that. We don't, right? We still have to get up, and we still go to work, or we still go to school, or we still pay our bills, or we... Well, some of us pay our bills, you know. And we look at this. But God is really a real part of every moment of our lives. God rules. Even when life doesn't make sense. We are different as we follow God. We fight our battles differently. We look at God differently. We look at circumstances differently. So let's jump right into a story of an orphan. An ordinary girl, a 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old girl who literally changed the world. Let's pray. Father, I'm excited to be able to share this story. You are a big God, an amazing God. You puzzle us every single day, Father, you do. You don't act the way we would like you to act. We would like justice to come much quicker, and mercy especially when it involves us. We would love to see the world's wrongs righted. We would love to see justice all over. We would love to see hate, well, disappear. But God, sometimes that doesn't happen. And we read about atrocities. And we wonder why you seem so silent. Yet God, we know you are at work. And we know that you fight battles differently than we do. And we know that as we walk with you, some of the very ordinary things in our life become very extraordinary. I want to just say again, thank you, Father, for blessing and protecting Nate and the Gardner family. What a blessing to see him walk through that door. 
we have been asking you, Father, to heal him. And you have used amazing surgeons in care. And Lord, he is here with us today. And we, we just thank you. We thank you for the blessing of a gigantic miracle in the Garner family. But we also thank you, Father, for miracles every single day in our lives. The breath you give us, the strength you give us, the interactions and the um, connections that we have with people. Would you somehow use this story that happened so long ago? Ignite us, Father. Give us a clear understanding of who you are and how you work and how much you care about us and how much behind the scenes stuff that you're doing that we don't see. We ask you would open our eyes. We would. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's open up to the book of Esther. If you have your Bibles or your flat screens, Open that up, and before we go into any kind of specifics, I'm going to give you kind of the big picture. The story of Esther focuses around eight banquets or feasts. As you read those nine chapters through, you'll see that the author focuses on feast after feast after feast. The first one, though, sets the stage. It gives you a really clear picture of who King Xerxes is. King Xerxes was a powerful Persian king. He was wealthy. And when he threw a party, and and again, some of the things I'm going to talk about today, we don't get. We just don't. I I mean, sometimes you go to a birthday party, and if it lasts two hours, you are dying. If you find out you're going to a reception of a relative, you maybe have never even seen. And you go, how long do I have to stay? Honey, just tell What time can we leave? Let's just focus on this before we even get out of the car. Okay. And so, okay, let's make it to 2 o'clock. We can do it to 2 o'clock, 2 o'clock. Smile a lot, and then we'll go home. Honestly, this guy threw a party 180 days. Six months. You know, you just say, like, who works? (laughs) You just go to a party and, like, yeah, that's what you do. When you're really rich and, you know, come on to my party. Well, after this happened, he gave another banquet. Well, you know what? That was for all the people in my kingdom. I'm going to give another gigantic party just for those people right in Susa, right where I'm I'm living right now. And it's going to last seven days. And we're going to invite everybody, all the commoners, all the servants. And and we're just going to have an unbelievable time on the seventh day day. The drunken king, well, the scripture doesn't say he was drunken, but the king wasn't thinking really well at this moment, all right? So whatever. But he has this idea. I'm going to show off my wife. Now, remember, veils, big deal, Persian women, uh, you know, I mean, there's, there is something where the king just wasn't thinking that well. We know that Vashti, Queen Vashti, was unbelievably beautiful. We do. 
But the idea was this. At the end of the seventh day, I just want Vashti to come into, I want her to parade around. And there's some talk, well, how is she supposed to parade? Well, the least she was probably going to do is at least remove her veil. The least. And Vashti, again, we're kind of thinking kings, queens, we're kind of thinking royalty. All right, what's the big deal, Vashti? Come on, let, you know, show your face and go on back home. For whatever reason, Vashti says no. Now, everyone who's been married or is married recognizes that there are sometimes husbands and wives disagree. All right? And sometimes men act like they're kings. I've been told that. And the demands are a little bit wrong, off the charts, whatever. But I'm pretty sure, no matter how powerful in my head I am, I never, ever, ever, ever would think, and that's why our culture is so different, if Sharon says no, you're out of here! Okay? It doesn't happen. You know? No. Well, okay, well, let's talk about this. No. Can we discuss this? No. Oh, got it. You're saying no. I'm slow sometimes. Okay? But realistically, what happens? This is what happens. But back then, he, the most powerful man on the planet, King Xerxes, you don't say no. And really, what he does, he, he draws a line. She is banned from the kingdom, and he begins to search for a new queen. All right. Well, through a series of events, this Hebrew or- orphan, her name was Hadassah. How beautiful. It was changed to Esther. Soon she was going to be chosen queen of Persia. God used her position as a queen to judge evil and to save a nation. It's quite the story. And I want to just say right from the beginning, has a big Joseph flavor. Now, we love focusing on Joseph, and Joseph deserves to be a hero. I I, I want to say that. But I am telling you, Esther is quite the story. And maybe you've read it. Maybe you've heard the story. Maybe you even, you know, remember parts of it. But it is so worthy to be able to sit down and read these nine chapters. What I'm going to give you, again, will be a small little portion I'll encourage you to go home and to read this and to get the full picture. But now, let's dig in and see what God's going to teach us about himself and life. I'm going to try again to paint an accurate picture for you because there's a lot of fill-in-the-blanks in this book. And and what I'd like to do, I was so blessed by a book. um, The author is Jim Baumgartner, all right? It is not even in print anymore, all right? You, you can get it on Kindle, and, and you can maybe get it used. But it is an unbelievable story, and the ability that he had to go back into history and help me understand just a little bit of who Esther was. You might enjoy it. 
Well, anyway, God surprises us. He always surprises us. As we look at this story, as we look in the Persian government, God was at work in a godless heathen culture, and in particular, a banquet that was filled with vulgarity and debauchery. Let's look at the main characters in this magnificent story. As I said, turn to Esther. We're going to start in Esther chapter 2, and I'm going to read the first eight verses. Esther chapter 2, starting at verse 1. But after Xerxes' anger has subsided, he began thinking about Vashti and what he had done and the degree he had made. So his personal attendants suggested, let us search the empire to find beautiful young virgins for the king. Now, I need to just stop there again for a second. Remember, this was critical. Life looked a little bit different. Um, Women, as we read through this story, please don't get mad at me, all right? This is a Persian culture. This is not how we're to treat each other at this moment. This is just life. And back then, really 13, 14, 15-year-olds, that's about the Marian age that happened. If you're a little older, maybe, maybe 16, and, and again, we've talked a little bit about this, when, when Mary, again, was told as a young woman, you know, that she would be well, carrying Jesus. It, it's just so phenomenal that a, that a 14 or 15-year-old can handle news like this. Well, the search went out. Go get me people who are not, uh, or gals who are not married. Young gals, 13, 14, 15-year-olds, all right? Verse 3, let the king appoint agents in each providence to bring these beautiful young women into the royal harem at the fortress of Susa. Folks, this is not good for a young Jewish girl or any girl. So you get picked to come into a harem with Hundreds of other women just for the king's pleasure. All right? Haggai, the king's eunuch in charge of the harem, will see that they are given all the beauty treatments. After that, the young woman who most pleases the king will be made queen instead of Vashti. Oh, this advice was very appealing to the king, so he put it into plan. All right. Go to verse 7. There was a man named Mordecai. And he had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin, Hadassah, who also was called Esther. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. As a result, verse 8 of the king's decree... Esther, along with many other young women, were brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa and placed in Haggai's care. Haggai was very impressed with Esther and treated her kindly. He ordered a special menu for her and provided her with many beauty treatments. More, the whole idea. He also assigned her seven maids, specially chosen from the king's palace, and he moved her in 
or maids into the best place in the harem. Wow. Esther was chosen among at least hundreds of other women. One day, this normal Jewish 14, 15, 16-year-old, I'm going to lean a little bit older. Because in our heads, we can't just even fathom a 13 or 14-year-old. So let's at least, let's bump her up just a little bit, just for us, okay? The next moment, she finds out she's taken out of her home, out of her family, paraded into this gigantic structure and said, you are going to be part of the king's harem. Oh, Esther knew God. She had to begin to wonder right away at that time, God, what are you doing? I have faithfully listened to you. My household loves you. I know the stories of your faithfulness. This could be like the worst nightmare I could ever think. I wanted to marry a nice Jewish man. I wanted to raise a family. I wanted to go to the synagogue and worship you, God. How is this possible? What are you doing? What is your plan, God? The chances of ending up as queen were pretty remote. There were quite a few different harems for this king. But if she didn't even make the cut on any of these harems, she would be tossed over basically for the, to the barracks, which she would just be playthings for the soldiers. Oh, she had to be discouraged. She now was in this foreign place without family, without scrolls, without anything. But the Bible says this, that God stirs Haggai's heart a eunuch. All of the servants that the Persians had around these women were eunuchs. And they were in charge of the women to make sure that they would be ultra presentable. Okay? Now what's really cool is that God stirred his heart. I I don't exactly know all that means, When you have 100, 200, 300 girls walk before you. Now, some of them may have come from really wealthy families, but we know, well, probably not Hadessa. Probably not. She just was a normal girl. Her nails probably were cracked. She probably looked a little bit like a laborer. And all these girls just strolling by. All of a sudden, Hadassah. All of a sudden, Haggai looks a little differently, wondering, whoa, this one's beautiful, but I must talk with her. I I, I need to relate with her, and, and maybe he said something to her. Instead of being snotty, or instead of being arrogant, or instead of whatever, maybe she answered with kindness. All the other girls, well, although the possibility was queen, they all knew it. They all knew this probably wasn't going to happen. But somehow there was something different about Hadassah. How cool is that? It was more than beauty. Some of it had to be demeanor or humility or kindness. 
I mean, every one of you know, and I know none of them are seated here, but 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old girls that you'd like to ship off to China for a few years. You know what I mean? The attitude and the, and the you know, the cattiness and the, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, would you come back when you grow up? There was none of that here. I think, actually, Hadessa or Esther, she had to be sharp. She had to be engaging. She had to be witty. I think she actually looked at you when she talked to you. All of these girls would be getting beauty treatments, and that's all we kind of get. But if you go back into history, there was a whole lot more than even just the beauty treatments, all right? This was more than, than just a Miss America or a Miss Universe contest. Uh, she had to understand, especially because she didn't grow up in this culture, history. So there were times of, of learning, they had to learn the religion of the Persians and the culture. And most of them even learned an instrument. All right? But mostly they had to learn about the king, his temperament, his moods, the things he likes and things he didn't. Remember, the last queen didn't go well when she basically said no. So every one of these girls needed to understand, what's this guy like? And history does tell us that he was a great hunter and he loved horses. So my guess is even Esther had to learn about horses and everything about this king. So we, we find out realistically that Haggai's head was on line here. It was on the block. If he didn't produce someone for this kind of erratic king, that would be queen, that would be pleasing. Well, he'd be in trouble. But God moved him, said, there is this special, special gal. So she was given 12 months worth of beauty treatments, special diets, workouts, training. Oh, my word. Really? I mean, what do you do for 12 months? I don't know. But apparently when you get out of this 12-month thing, you are looking very good. Okay? So as the days passed, and as all the girls gathered, I think there probably was some excitement in the court. Everybody saw Esther, that was her new name, stick out. The way she treated others. The treatment she had. I'm sure probably caused some jealousies, at least in the beginning. But there was something special about this lady. And it was pretty amazing. But there had to be fear. There had to be wonder. Every day, Esther, in spite of getting this treatment and being honored like this, Lord, what do you have for me? This seems so odd. I'm not with my family. I'm just, well, preparing to be queen? Oh, Lord, please give me some understanding here. The Scriptures tell us after four years, it had been four years since Vashti was tossed out of the kingdom. There were some other wars that were going on, but, but again, Esther took one year to prepare herself. So she, 
She was taken as a 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old. She was then prepared for 12 months. And at the end of this time, this 18, 19, or 20-year-old was ready. The time had come. She trusted God in spite of all this and listened to her friend Haggai. Esther was enchanting. She mesmerized the king, who eventually chose her as queen. That's a great story. God gave Esther both beauty and opportunity. But before we go into a few details, we need to look at Mordecai. Mordecai was a godly man. He knew the scriptures. He reared Esther. We don't even know if he had a wife at this moment. We don't if if he was married, if she had died, or, or any of those things. But we know at least these two were in the household. Mordecai raised or reared Esther, loved Esther like a daughter. He was a man of integrity. We find he had a government job. And he knew the difference between respect and worship. He did respect authority, but he only worshipped his God. Well, he honored the king. He did. But he didn't honor the king's number two man. His name was Haman. Haman desired to be worshipped, as you read through the scriptures. And Mordecai decided not to worship him. It resulted in some bad dealings. Haman found out that he was a Jew. The Jews, even back then and all the way through, were not a liked people. They were different. They lived differently. They worshipped differently. And, and, and they were treated differently. Haman decided that he not only wanted to get rid of Mordecai, but he can get rid of all the Jews. And because of his authority and his relationship with King Xerxes, he was able to put out an edict. An edict that months and months down the road would take care of his problem. He told all of the Persians that on a certain day, they would have full authority to be able to annihilate, to kill all of the Jews and to be able then to take their property. So if you know any Jew that's got a nice piece of land, I would go after them. You get to kill them on this day and you get to move into their house. How cool is that for everyone who wasn't Jewish? Oh my word. You look at this and and as this plot became known. Oh, things started to go south for the Jews. There's so much to learn from this Hebrew father and daughter. But chapter 4, if you would turn with me, really is a critical chapter in the whole story. And I'd like to start reading at verse 1, Esther chapter 4, verse 1, where we find out that Mordecai hears of this news where the Jews are going to be attacked and hopefully annihilated. Chapter 4. When Mordecai 
when Mordecai learned all about that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on burlap and ashes, and went out into the city crying with a loud and bitter wail. Remember, you would wonder why Esther isn't upset at this time, probably just because she has no clue. She lives in an ivory tower at this moment. But what's so amazing is that this edict goes out. Mordecai, the godly man that he was, began to wail. God, what are you doing? God, you can't take away our lives. We are your people. We are your followers. Esther soon hears of her dad or uncle's display of grief. And so she sends a messenger. She can't just kind of stroll out there. And Mordecai tells exactly what's going on. even sends the edict back with with the messenger. Well, Queen Esther gets Mordecai's message. Look at Esther chapter 4, starting at verse 13. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time is this. Something happens then between verse 14 and 15. We do not know how long the wait was. But look what happens in verse 15. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And though it is against the law, I will go in and see the king. If I must die, I will die. Well, we find that Esther absolutely depends upon God in spite of her position and beauty and wisdom. We see that Queen Esther evaluated. She started hearing the message. And she wondered, wondered, am I queen for more than this? She counted the cost. The scripture tells it was 30 days since she saw the king. Maybe she even thought at this moment that, oh, maybe I'm all washed up. Maybe it's not as important to him anymore. Maybe, maybe I've just lost status. We do know this, is that she sought God's help. She sent the message back and she says, hey, Mordecai, get the message out. Make sure all the Jews know for the next three days, don't eat. You fast and you pray. You fast and you pray because I'm going to go see the king. Which to us again in our culture, not a big deal. But in the Persian way, if someone entered 
the presence of the king. And he did not raise his gold scepter. That person would be killed. So in spite of being a queen, in spite of being a wife, she had God's people pray. All right. Well, God gave her courage. And what's so very, very cool is that God gave her a plan. God raised up Mordecai. And let me just tell you a little more of the details because this is so cool. When the time approached, Esther walked into the presence of the king. Literally, she knew if the king was in a bad mood or if the king didn't receive her or the scepter didn't go out, it would cost her her life. She somehow knew, though, that she was queen for this reason, to save her people. And God used these circumstances in an unbelievable way. And so she approaches And the king is so warm, the king raises his scepter right away. And she says, oh, Queen Esther, how are you doing? Haven't seen you for the last 30 days. But it's really nice to see you today. What can I do for you? In fact, you look so good today, I will give you up to half the kingdom. Now, come on, man. Is this guy a schmoozer or what? I mean, he doesn't even say hi to her for 30 days, and all of a sudden, I'll give you half the kingdom. Like, whoa, what's going on here, you know? And Queen Esther had this plan and said, Oh, king, I would love to have dinner with you and with Haman. Okay, let it be known. Is there anything else on your mind? Well, I will tell you later, said Esther. Remember, she was a sharp cookie. And so anyway, they, they have this dinner. And so the king just asks, Esther, what's on your mind? Well, you know what? Could we have this same thing tomorrow? I believe Esther was kind of looking at the environment, kind of noticing, kind of making a plan. And it is so cool because as you go ahead and read through the Scripture, that night the king couldn't sleep. Now, when you can't sleep, sometimes you go turn the TV on or you might pick up a book or whatever. Well, the king... This king, I mean, God had to be doing this because who would do this? He goes, you know what? I haven't read the history of my land for, you know, a while. How about if you go and read the history of Persia to me? Well, if anything would put you to sleep, that's probably going to do it, you know. And it was then that all of a sudden he realized that there was a man named Mordecai who literally was his savior. He told him of a plot of an assassination that was going to happen. So again, without going into a lot of detail, you can read the story. He says, I need to honor this man. I've never honored him. So the very next morning, he asked, who's in the court? Who's out there in the garden? Who's walking out there? Well, well, it was Haman. He says, invite Haman in. And and he asks Haman a question. He says, Haman, you know, you're part of my kingdom here. How would I honor someone that that I need to honor? And Haman, thinking it was himself, because that's all he thought about, told him, well, the way I'd like to be honored, I'd like to have some snazzy clothes, I'd like to have a brand new chariot, and I'd like everybody to bow down and worship me. 
He goes, that's a great idea. Why don't you go get Mordecai and do that very thing for him? Oh, oh, oh. I don't really like this guy, Mordecai. In fact, I've just built some gallows and want to kill him, but I guess I'll delay it for one day because now I have to walk him through the city and we're going to applaud him. Well, the dinner comes. Everybody is gathered. And the king asks the question, what's the problem? Esther says, oh, king, I just want you to know that right now in your kingdom there are plans for my people to be destroyed. Whoa. I mean, the king probably wasn't aware of a whole lot of things that were going on. I'm just letting you know, okay? Let's not beat him up too much. He had Haman in charge, and that's all really that mattered. But the king looked at Queen Esther and said, what what do you mean? What are you talking about? What do you mean having your people destroyed? Well, I'm a Hebrew. And there's an edict out a few months from now is that anybody can be able to kill us and my relatives, kill me, and take the possessions. Who would do that? Now imagine Haman's right there. The meal's getting a little uncomfortable. All right? And Esther, in her way, said, well, king, it's Haman. Immediately, the scriptures say the king was furious and he left the room. Haman goes and begs Esther, falls on her. So inappropriate. Well, the king comes back and sees what Haman is even doing at that moment, even gets angrier. You know what's so amazing? The next day, Haman gets impaled. Mordecai gets the position that Haman had down the road. Things go extremely well for Mordecai, and he uses his power and authority completely different. All right? We find out that even though the laws of the Persians could not be changed once that signet ring went on an edict. That Mordecai came up with a plan where the Jews could defend themselves. And that's what happened. We read through this and we find out that literally there were 75,000 Persians, or at least those that hated the Jews, were killed over the course of a couple days. We look at that and we cower back and say, how, how is this justice? How can this happen? But God, again, knew it was time for these people to be dealt with in a very drastic way to us. Well, at that moment, Mordecai sets up a festival. It's called Purim. 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 And Purim is a festival that the Jewish people celebrate. In fact, it happened this year in March 20th and 21st. In fact, I was handed, Carol, as I walked in today, handed me a newspaper clipping and said, Rick, isn't it a little bit odd that these Orthodox Jews are wearing these kind of goofy hats? And they are. But Purim 
One of the things that happens here, it's called, it's the only one called this, but it's called a jolly festival. The Jews are just so excited about what God did for them. He instituted this, and it has happened every year since then. They usually use this time to give gifts to the poor. They read through the book of Esther, and then they basically just feast. They basically celebrate with all their family. You know, as I look at Esther, there's a few things that jump out to me. First of all, in reality, when life doesn't seem to make sense, do we turn to him or run from him? When we're 14 years old and we're having just a really good life, nobody's bothering us, And the next day we find out that we're away from family and into a situation that seems so astronomically wrong. What do we do? We question God, I'm sure, but but the question is, is God in control of our lives or is God not in control? This is such a cool story of God working marvelously in human affairs. You see, God is at work actually right now. And for such a time uh, as this, you are exactly where you're at. You know, some of you think you got your job. You, You didn't actually get your job. It's an assignment from God. Oh, no, no, no. I filled out the resume, Rick. I went to the interview. I'm glad. I'm happy. I think that's terrific. But God gave you that job. Well, and, and we can look at this. For such a time as this, you may be a carpenter. You may be a patient. You may be a custodian. You may be an artist. You may be a teacher. And you just keep going on and on. What we need to realize is that God is powerful. And God is big. And God gives us grace. And God moves the pieces. And there are times when we see God work. And there's other times when we don't. It doesn't mean God's not at work. It doesn't. It just means we're not understanding. I can't imagine, again, what Esther was feeling the night after she was forced out of her house. There isn't any way. There isn't any way she knew that she would be put in a position of this power and authority. We all know that there were a lot of girls that weren't chosen, right? That didn't end up as queen. I know this. As we look at the upper story, as we look at what we're learning about God in this story God is just. Yes. We don't understand all the things, but God is just. He is in control. In spite of what news is saying and telling you. We look at God, and the way He works is confusing to us. Because we don't see the big picture. We only see the back end of the tapestry. We only see a little bit ahead. We only get to read a few pages. God says, I've got a novel. God is 
at work today, in your neighborhood, in your family, in our government, in our world. God is at work. We may not see it. We may not. So what does this mean to all of us as we look at the lower story? I had to, I had to think of all the Bible stories and all the upbringing that happened before Hadassah was forcibly taken from her home. Do you understand how important it is to rear our children and help them understand who God is and raise them in the fear of God? Parents is just not an easy task. And once we think they graduate from high school or college and we think, okay, we're done... It doesn't work that way, does it? You're continually parenting. Different. But you're parenting. And how wonderful it is to have kids that know God and love God and as we make that a priority. you got to know this, that those who walk with God stick out in a godless world. The way you make decisions, how kind you are, how gracious you are. And if there's a hundred employees that walk by the boss... Do you stick out and do I stick out as a gracious man or woman of God? Whoa, she's different. He's different. He works differently. He treats people differently. He doesn't talk about people like, oh. As you walk with God, we will permeate every area of our godless world and we'll be different. Just remember this. Everything we have comes from God. The, the one thing that Esther couldn't, well, develop was beauty. She was just born that way. She had straight teeth, okay? I mean, today we get orthodontists. That's good. But she was made perfect. But she also had other things. And God used all of this, this beautiful young lady, to bring about His goodness in our world. And honestly, for such a time as this, I don't know why you're where you're at, why you're in a certain school, why you're a certain neighborhood, why, and you can fill in the blanks. But honestly, I don't think it's any different than what Esther was going through. Why are you there? It's for such a time as this. And lastly, I guess I would just like to say, let's take time in our life to celebrate God's goodness. You know, there's a certain festival that the Jews, well, celebrate every year. Because they never, ever, ever, ever want to forget God's faithfulness. But Maybe we don't have that same festival in our lives, but are we so busy all the time that we forget to stop and to be able to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Your blessings are overwhelming to me. I don't deserve this. Thank you. To gather family around, to praise, whether you sing in a car or you sing, but just thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. 
I'm overwhelmed by your grace. We have a tendency over and over to think of the negative and think of the things that are going wrong in our lives. And, and God says, oh, I'm walking with you. I'm walking with you. We fight our battles with praise and thanksgiving. It may look like we're surrounded by hundreds of girls in this harem. Why, God? But I'm surrounded by you. Think of it. Surrounded by God. Right now, the God of angel armies surrounds you everywhere you go. Just because you don't see it. How cool that this young girl, Esther, she's a hero. She's courageous. She trusts God. She respects authority. She works in an unbelievable way because of her connection to a God. You know, I look around and I, and I see young people. I can't tell you how many girls, young girls, I went to this morning and says, I can't wait for you to hear this message. Because I do think it's important. I think it's critical that you understand all that God has given you. But there's some young guys. And there's some older girls and older guys. And there's some gray hairs, believe it or not. What's my calling? For such a time as this, God has given you opportunity to make a difference wherever you go. He is there. He is walking with you. And He's giving you wings to make a difference. Let's pray. Father, I think of it. I think of being surrounded even now of the heavenly beings recognizing, God, that, that you are in authority. It looks at times, Lord, like we get the wrong end of the deal. It looks at times like evil is winning. It looks like we have wrong people in positions and wrong bosses, wrong family members we're stuck with. Oh, God, you are not surprised. <laughs> You are working behind the scenes. You are surrounding us. You are walking with us through valleys. You are empowering us. And God, we are so grateful. I thank you for Esther. I thank you that she didn't give up. I thank you that, you, that she trusted you. And that she had a dad like Mordecai. We are blessed. We are blessed, and we are surrounded. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.